The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Maryland Radio, Nina Bosky. She had entries in there that um, Bobby is out to get Jimmy Hoffa and, quote, I'll put that SOB behind bars or no, or no what, something like that. Uh, she had entries in there regarding uh, Bobby told me that uh, he was going to have, uh, you know, Castro murdered. And uh, the entries, most of them begin with Bobby told me. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss M.M. herself. Well, we are in season three, dissecting the DA report. This week, the uh, or last week, I should say, the infamous Robert Slatzer, that's who you heard at the beginning of this, will be talking about uh, the infamous Red Diary this week. And as Good Maryland, uh, Good Night Maryland fans, we are growing around the world each and every week, and we have some shout-outs this week. Davey John Heller from Dallas, Texas. Susie from Venezuela. Anne-Marie from Belgium. Malcolm from the U.K., Regina from San Paulo, uh, Brazil. Paris from, I hope I'm saying this re- right, Valadoid, Mexico. Kelly from New York. Eileen from Los Angeles. David from Riverside, California. Darla from Oklahoma. Kyra, Kira, I should say, from, is it Lemagas, uh, France. And we also have a special hello to uh, one of our favorite fans. It was her birthday this week, Melinda Neal from Yucca Valley, California, and also our own Ginger Herrick, who uh, is celebrating a birthday today. So happy, happy birthday. You know, it's because of you and this story that we are shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting us for over 53 years. There are so many people and as you can, you know, uh, as you know from even last week's show, that have been claiming to be part of Marilyn's life, that it becomes really confusing to know who the players are, and probably more specifically, as we're finding out in this season, who isn't. So this season, we're taking an in-depth look at what's really going on as we dissect the 1982 DA report. We are recapping this in this week's show. We are recapping a compelling conversation with Robert Slatzer. 
from last week. Uh, you know, as I said, that was him in the opening of the show. Now we will get into the infamous Red Diary, and it is infamous because did it ever really exist? And if so, who has it? Or is it just the record of her poems and journals that was just published a few years ago in the book Fragments? And, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to the panel this week and the show and getting into her writing style because I find it interesting that in the book, the book is called Fragments. And when you look at how she wrote, I talked about this a little bit last week, she wrote in a very fragmented form, more of a free thought. And I wonder if she would have kept a diary that was so linear in the, you know, style of dates and times and things that uh, Robert Slatzer was talking about in the very beginning of this, of this show. But before we get into this week's show, I've got some special people to thank. Randall Libero, our executive producer of Goodnight Maryland. I'd also like to thank the Voice America Radio Networks for their support in really getting uh, the truth out there. Mike Surgit, our engineer. Jennifer, our social media person. And of course, you are Goodnight Maryland fans. We could not do it without you. And also, we could not be doing this show without our excellent panel uh, and I just want to say say thank you to them. Uh, and I also want to share with you, I've talked about this and how important it is, but because you feel passionate about what we're talking about, I am going to ask you to go to goodnightmaryland.com. Up at the, the, the upper tab is a petition uh, tab, and it says, sign the petition. And why do you have to do that? Why is it important? And why am I asking you to do that? Is because we're in a very critical time in this investigation, garnering so much support from our expert panel that I talked about last week from pathology to mental health to law officials. We have Sergeant um, Sergeant Salla Babera, who is a decorated uh, uh, homicide detective who has who had been with the force for over 27 years. He is now on the investigation team and really helping to bridge that opportunity with uh, LA Law to be able to really reinvestigate, if not reopen the case, to at least overturn the coroner findings. They did it with Natalie Wood. There is no reason in the world that they shouldn't be doing it in this case. Regardless of what we find out from um, from this day forward, we do know that there is enough evidence to overturn those coroner findings. And I'm not saying she didn't commit suicide, guys, because I, I get emails and stuff and people say, well, why is that such a bad thing if she committed suicide? Meaning that, you know, let her, let her rest in peace. But here's the thing. We don't really know if she committed suicide. And so if it's accidental or undetermined, then that's really what it should be. Because we cannot say without a shadow of a doubt that this woman took her life. So that's the reason why we are asking them to relook at this case, even from just the, the pathology of what we're talking about. So anyway, well, the, the panel is back. I'm excited to have you guys. Um, we have Gary Vitaka Robles, best-selling author of Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe. And we have Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray and also Leslie Kasperowitz. I'm so glad she was able to join us. She's out on vacation, I think, camping. And we'll have to tell us where she's camping. And we are discussing the 641-page DA report. This week, we're jumping right in, giving you a great setup as we recap Robert Slatzer. Lots of good stuff came out of last week's show. Very compelling. So if you've not had a chance to listen yet, I highly suggest that you go back and listen this week. Um, The infamous Red Diary. 
I know our, our movie, Good Night, Marilyn, it plays an important role. But I have to say, <laughs> thank God it's a fictional story. I'm going to tell you why. Because I remember when we were first talking about the movie and somebody said to me, you know, is it a biopic? And I thought, yes. You know why I thought yes? It's because like most people, I just believed what I heard in the media. And now I have to say that, thank God I know what I know now. And I do have to say this, that this movie is going to be an entertainment thrill thrill ride. It is certainly going to make you think about your own life and how far you would go for your dreams. And we're going to have some exciting announcements in the coming weeks about the Goodnight Marilyn movie. Uh, so it's going to be an action-packed spring, and we're glad to have you along for the ride. Well, as an opening to last week's show, let's recap Robert Slatzer and what we talked about. Gary, let's uh, start with you and jump right in. Good morning, Nina. Good morning. Uh, I, think, I think the takeaway message from last week is that Robert Slatzer was building upon allegations made by Frank Capel, um, who had written a 1963 pamphlet, The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe. And both Capel and Jack Clemens, the first officer on the death scene, I think they were what we would now consider right-wing, ultra-conservative extremists. Uh, and they were making allegations and implications that, that Marilyn died at the hands of Robert Kennedy, who was a liberal Democrat at the time, or maybe by those motivated to ruin Kennedy. And April reminded us that in 1965, Capel and Clemens they were indicted for conspiracy to libel by distributing a forged affidavit to ruin uh, Republican Senator uh, Thomas Keekle. And uh, it said that he had been arrested for homosexual contact in a car. And, and Keekle, for those who might not remember him, uh, he had supported the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and other social welfare programs. And then April, uh, her research was excellent. It revealed that Capel was actually contracted to ghostwrite Slater's 1974 book, The the Life and Curious Death of Marilyn Monroe, which uh, now included new claims made by Clemens. So through Slater, Capel was able to repeat all of the allegations that he had begun in the 60s, only now with Slater inserted into the mix as Slater was now claiming that he was married to Marilyn and he was privy to details of her alleged affair with Robert Kennedy. But um, as we learned last week, Slater was never able to produce any evidence of a marriage or an annulment or a murder conspiracy. And in well, fact... Yeah, I was going to just say, Gary, you know, what you're talking, you're talking about a lot of stuff here. And I just, for the the people that are listening in, maybe for the even the first time, what we're really hearing here is a man, and I loved what Mary Jane, I think it was Mary Jane that said last week, the, the man was, uh, you know, uh, just a genius at self-promoting. And everything that we were talking about, the fact that he he really didn't have a lot of this information Firsthand, so keep going. I just, I just find this very fascinating that you know, it, as we broke it down last week, um, what we think is true really isn't. Yeah, he seemed rather obsessed with her, and um, and then he wrote his book. But it seems like it was really Capel behind him all of the way, and he was maybe fueled by his own obsession with Marilyn and his need to somehow seek status by being uh, connected with her. But once. 
once uh, slates are moved forward, connecting now with a private detective, Milo Spiriglio, and then Lionel Grandison, who we'll get into later, you know, these three men pushed the LADA to reopen the investigation. So I kind well, of and, see- and I was going to say, you know, one of the things that I, you know, we talked about this last week, that's the positive side of what he did. He really did push um, the ability to, to get this DA report, the very fact that we're dissecting it. And we have more information than we normally would if this never happened. Absolutely. Yeah, it just it seems like just the motivations are different now than they were when these men were bringing this to the light. Yeah, and I, and, and I think, you know, I want to point that out because I think that there's some people might say, well, look at us, we're, we're bringing stuff to the light as well and we're pushing. But why would you say our, our reasons for pushing are different than maybe they, theirs? And this is an opinion, guys. This is not fact. So yeah, I just want to let you know. my opinion, but, but they seemed, we, well, we seem motivated by a genuine compassion and empathy for Marilyn. And it seems like these men had... They didn't really have compassion and, and empathy for her. They seemed to have political motivations or, or the need for profit because all of these men be, uh, took the, the television circuit um, uh, route and they published books. And um, they, you know, they seemed motivated uh, for their own devices. She was kind of a pawn. And we seem... We, you know, I can speak to, for, to myself for myself that we have a genuine concern for Marilyn and, and we're really seeking truth and light um, about her. Well, I think that, you know, and I, I, I think April's on with us as well, and I want to get her, um, you know, because she, she brought forward some really important, valuable information that you just touched on. But I, I think that it's very fascinating, and I want to bring this home because this is just as much as this story and what we're talking about is really relevant in today's society, given the fact that, uh, you know, um, somebody's death is still, uh, you know, still being talked about over 53 years later. And the reason why it's being talked about is because there is no real transparency. It's, it's people even us, we're sitting here talking about it, uh, giving opinions and talking about it. But unless you can really see the facts and see what really is left in terms of this case, from the LAPD file to the full, not only the district attorney's um, uh, you know, DA report, but they also have tapes, right? And so when you look at the ability of this man alone, right, being able to be on all these television shows, just like a lot of other people, but they even made a television show called The Maryland Files back in 1992, centered around his information as if he really had a personal relationship with her. And I'm not saying maybe he had a casual, you know, uh, acquaintance, like you said, but it's evident, evident that he did not have the relationship. He was on national TV with Bill Bixby and all these other officials talking about this case. So I find it very, very fascinating that all of us, you know, including myself, when I said to you, oh, wow, you know, is this a biopic of Marilyn? And in the very beginning, I thought, of course, of course you believe what the media is saying. And the reality is that is not the case at all. And 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 for all of us, we need to scrutinize and, and question what we're being told, not just in this case, but in everything in terms of, of the media and, and publishing and books. You know, where is the source? And we live in such a 
quick, quick fix society that we don't take the time. You know, we'll read something on our internet browser and assume that it's true. And and it's not. So, you know, April, welcome to the show. I know you're on the line with us. You brought some very compelling information last last week and in, in talking about that you had uh, the Fowler documents. Tell us a little bit about the recap with that, too. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So the Fowler documents, um, as Gary has explained, as we talked about last show, Fowler was a publisher who worked with um, Robert Flatcher, and he agreed to ghostwrite his book along with Capel. And um, Fowler later went on to claim around 91 that he wasn't actively involved in the project for very long, but the documents show that he was actually involved for well over a year and that all profits from the book were to be split evenly between Flatcher, Capel, and Fowler. And um, just one of the biggest things that you, when you start looking at his Flatcher, you can really see how his story changed. In 52 and 53, he was just saying that he would give Marilyn books and they had a relationship that was just intellectual. In 54, he said um, that he just looked at her as like she was his sister. And then Flatcher's story really starts to change around 57, which is also a year after his divorce from his wife. And that's when he starts saying they slept with her. And then it's not until 72 when he first writes to Fowler that they were married and that they have this huge, long relationship. And it just shows you how people's stories change over time. That's the number one thing with Flatter. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the reality is, is because it's been over 53 years, um, you know, a story uh, starts to take off off another story, another story, another story. So we're going to have to take a break. But Mary Jane, uh, you wanted to add a comment, too, in regards to, uh, you know, recap of last week as well. Hello, Mary Jane, did yeah, we lose I'm, you? Oh, yeah, okay, I'm hi. <laughs> Do you want to recap a little bit about what, what your, your thoughts were from last week's show? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think we did a really excellent job of explaining the ins and outs of Robert Slatzer and how he factors into all this. And it seems almost like he's managed to get his hands into every aspect of exploring her death. And I mean, like I had said, he was an absolute master at self-promotion and getting himself out there and essentially being able to convince people that what he was saying was the truth. And it created an unfortunate snowball effect in um, other documentaries and books that people would take what he had said and then expound on it and then make the story a little more exciting for their book. And it's just created this cottage industry of... Marilyn's death conspiracies. It all gets tied back to him and Capel, where most of the conspiracies originated from. All right, we're going to have to take a short break. It is uh, ten, uh, about ten twenty uh, Pacific Coast time. We'll be back as we continue the conversation and continue to dissect the DA report around Robert Slatzer. And up next, the infamous Red Diary. <music> Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show, Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. What else about her story didn't hold up over time? How many different versions are you aware that she told? There must be a dozen different versions over the years as she got older. And I know I was doing a little interview with her when she was doing a network broadcast back in 1985. And after uh, she took a break, why she sort of sighed and just kind of put her hands up like this and said, I am only telling them what what they want to hear. And... uh, It's a well-known, and then right after that, she admitted that Bobby Kennedy had been in Marilyn Monroe's house the night of her death. Is that the one time you think Mrs. Murray might have been caught telling the truth? Probably the only time. Interesting, as we talk about, again, Robert Slatzer and his uh, conversations in regards to the public around uh, around Marilyn's death. That was from the Marilyn Files, that whole show that was centered around him. And uh, I want to get into a little bit about uh, also the Red Diary and some of the things that, uh, that uh, he had talked about. Leslie, we haven't heard from you yet in regards to the Red Diary. diary. What are some of your thoughts? Uh, well, the Red Diary is, um, according to Slatzer and um, uh, Lionel Grandison, who um, was the uh, DA's assistant, uh, who claims to have seen it, was supposedly filled with secrets that Marilyn had written down that had been told to her by the Kennedys, um, all kinds of things about operations involving Fidel Castro and um, the Kennedys uh, planning to take away Frank Sinatra's gambling license. I mean, just all kinds of apparently sensitive information um, that Marilyn had written down as a record. Um, and was later claimed that she was going to reveal all these things that she had written down, thereby providing a motive for murder. 
The problem with the Red Diary is the only people who can attest to its existence are not really what you'd consider good sources. <laughs> so you have Slasser, you have um, Ted Jordan, who then later said that the book he had was a book of poems, um, and you have Grandison, who is um, was working at the coroner and claims that it was brought in with her body. Um, yeah, we're, and we're going to talk... Yeah, and we're going to talk about him in the next segment, too. So let's save him okay. for the next segment. But just just recap it. But I just wanted to say we're going to talk about a little bit more into, in detail about him in the next segment. Sure. And so the diary itself, you have a few people who claim to have seen it. Um, but then you have many others on the scene, um, particularly uh, Sergeant Clemens and the other police officers who were at the scene. Um, who never mentioned the diary being present in Marilyn's house. Um, and you also have Marilyn's friends who will tell you that she did keep such a diary. Um, and as uh, we'll point out, I think, a little bit later, her, or you mentioned it earlier, her writing style just simply doesn't match up to the kind of things that were allegedly in this diary. Uh, so the evidence for this diary is extremely weak, and the evidence um, you know, against its existence is, is pretty strong. So, or, Yeah, I mean... Things, uh, and, and, yeah, and that's the key here because, you know, when we start talking about substantiated facts, where are the facts, where are the diary, There's and in the DA report, which we've all gone through, one of the things that's very interesting is they really do make a conscious effort to find this red diary, and every time they do, they keep going back and forth and back and forth, and yet nobody could ever produce it, which I think is very interesting, and the things that they did pr- produce uh, is the Ted, uh, you know, the, what, uh, you know, and who is an actor, that, uh, you know, said that he just made the stuff up, you know what I mean? That he didn't really, he had a book of poems instead. So um, let me just, be, let, let's continue in the Red Diary, but I wanted to play this clip last week and I want to play it this week because in the DA report, uh, one of the questions that they ask, they, they, they wrote about, it was like 50 or 60 questions and it's handwritten. It's very fascinating when you, when you look through this DA report. It says, why was there no drinking glass mentioned or present of possible syringe in Maryland, if Marilyn actually did take those nebutols orally? And if she did receive an injection, why hasn't, uh, what happened to the syringe? Their answer to this question was a drinking glass as observed in the photograph of Monroe's bedroom. Play the clip for us too. Another again, he's making a accusation and talking about um, you know the fact that there was no uh, water glass, but yet at the same time there was a water glass. If you look at the LAPD report, uh, ten twenty two seventy five. So play the clip and let's go from there. Well, the thing that struck me as being curious was the fact that the window. Uh, Dr. Greenson allegedly broke to gain access to Marilyn's bedroom. The majority of the glass was lying on the outside on the ground rather than rather than on the inside. Oh, <laughs> that's the window clip. So, hey, you know what? That's kind of an interesting one. Let's go with that one. Um, we had talked about that a little bit. Wh- why in the world did that? Um, we talked about it last week in terms of the, uh, you know, the uh, fire uh, poker. Um, why? And I think, Gary, you answered it. Why wouldn't it have been on uh, the inside instead of the outside? Well, if, if Dr. Greenson used the poker to break the window, the sharp part of the the poker would have penetrated the window and then perhaps glass would have fallen inside the bedroom, but the poker has a hook at the edge of it. And as he pulled the poker back through the window pane, it might have broken out other glass on its exit that would have fallen towards him on the outside of the home. I'm actually looking at a photograph of the window. 
it's just one pane that he broke, and he broke less than a quarter of the pane, and it's about the size of the hand. It's just big enough to get the hand in to turn the latch, so it doesn't appear to have uh, created much in terms of broken glass on the ground yeah. in the first place. Well, and I think that's the key here. And my question, and maybe uh, the the panel, and then we'll go to that other clip, is um, in regard. Did they find anything on the in the inside, or is it just um, you know completely on the outside? Do we know that? Anybody? I don't think it's a draft. Uh, I don't think the broken glass. I don't remember it in the DA report. No, I don't recall it being discussed either in the police reports or or anywhere else. I don't think it was questioned at the time, so I don't think they necessarily investigated it that closely. Yeah, you know, and I wonder, you know, we're going to have Sal LaBarbera on, and he's got some interesting uh, kind of uh, insights into back in 1962, some of the things that they did back then, and um, if that would have have had to have been uh, put in there. But if nobody is thinking that there's any malice, they might not have even paid attention, given given the fact that everybody is walking around in in uh, in in her bedroom that night. Um, let's go ahead and play that uh, qu- uh, that uh, that clip. It's about the aspirin and uh, Mike, go ahead and play that clip and we'll get back to the diary. There was a girl that uh, had trouble taking an aspirin without a glass of water. And uh, I have never seen her go and take pills or capsules without some type of a liquid. It was uh, with her, she always said, I can't, I can't take something unless I've got something to drink it down with. Mary Jane, you want to talk about that? You probably could well, address that he- one. That allegation of Marilyn being having difficulty swallowing pills, that's the only source of it. Um, none of her friends or, or colleagues ever said that she had any difficulty um, taking pills. And, in fact, some people around her said they witnessed her taking large amounts of pills to get through the day. So I, I don't really trust that assertion that she had difficulty with pills because of where it's coming from, and it's not substantiated. You know, it's very interesting you say that because we've been, you know, going through the Anthony Summers tapes um, in regards to his his raw interview files, and that actually was mentioned, and I'm trying to think if it was Pat Newcomb or somebody else that talked about the fact that she would all of a sudden take pills during the day, and it wouldn't be just one or two. She would be able to take a handful of pills. So I think that the reality is, is that she was used to taking a lot of pills. She was used to taking a lot of medication. You know, the fact that we can't can't source this anywhere else. But the reason why I wanted to play those tapes and those clips is the power we have. He says it was such, um, as if he knew her, really knew her. I remember hearing that. I remember talking about this case before I even really got into it and saying, and yeah, she couldn't even swallow pills, you know? I mean, there was something sinister going on, right? And your mind can just start to run away with you. And I think that's one of the things that I think we're doing with this case is bringing it back down to a baseline of what is fact and what is fiction and what could be probable theory. Right now, what I heard you say, and I think this is really important for our listeners to to hear, is that there is no other source in Maryland's community of friends, I won't say necessarily family, but her, her friends and associates, that could ever 
talk about her not being able to to take pills. So um, I just wanted to make that as a as a really good point as we continue this conversation. Uh, Gary, uh, let's let's break it down in terms of the diary and uh, kind of the timeline of when this was really introduced and kind of recap what uh, Leslie was talking about at the beginning of this segment. Sure, Nina. Well, um, Robert Slatzer is the first one to talk about the diary in his 1974 book, and he says that Marilyn actually shared it with him and had disclosed to him that in her relationship with RFK, he would become angry that she couldn't recall the details of government secrets that he shared with her. So she started recording them in a diary, and that uh, Slatzer paged through it and saw you know, highlights related to Jimmy Hoffa and the Teamsters and the Bay of Pigs. And then um, the, the diary resurfaces again in um, Milo Spiriglio's book in 1982, uh, Marilyn Monroe Murder Cover-Up, and now he expands upon that as well, and, and he offers a $10,000 reward for the diary and around that time, 82, was the uh, anniversary, the 20th anniversary of Marilyn's death. So now we have Ted Jordan at the crypt uh, memorial service telling the press that, that he had possess, possession of it. Yeah, and then also, and also in the DA report, um, and and we'll we'll play it actually as a recap for next week. Um, and then maybe I don't know if you have it. Uh, anybody has it close to them? I don't have it in front of me. Um, his actually comments of what he comes back and says to the, in the DA report, and we should probably uh, uh, read that because it's very interesting. He comes back and he basically says, you know, he doesn't have it. Right. Yeah, and, and Lionel, I think Lionel Grandison is the only other person. There was a television show in the 70s called In Search Of, and he appeared around 1978 um, saying that uh, he had paged through the diary as well, that it was part of the police file of which he had access to. But he you know, met Slater around that time uh, at a radio st- a station. You know, it's very interesting, this whole thing, because, you know, also as you, you read through the DA report as well and we go through it, some of the things that he brought up that I think is is important, too. Uh, one of the questions, um, you know, uh, that uh, they wrote, I said, you know, they they had uh, written down in handwriting uh, about 60 questions about what was going on and some of the things they needed to have answered. It says, you know, Robert Slatzer wrote a book, The Life and Curious Death of Marilyn Monroe, in which he posed the following question regarding Marilyn's death. Why did Marilyn's psychiatrist try to get her off barbiturates while her internist kept writing her prescriptions and both doctors knew Marilyn and each other? So, uh, Leslie, you want to answer that? Oh, well, that's that's kind of the question I think that we're pursuing a little bit here is what the doctors were doing with the prescriptions. Um, you know, and we do have evidence that they knew each other and we do um, know that they were writing an incredible number of pills. Um, and a lot of what was questioned at the time was whether or not she had access to the number of pills um, that she would have had to have taken um, because I believe it's about 47 nebutalas that is, is believed that she ingested. And there was an argument that she didn't have the prescription bottle found on the nightstand was for only 25 nebutal. And I think at the time, all of the prescriptions had not yet come to light and and. Nobody quite understood where she was accessing all of these pills from. 
So that question itself kind of led to some of the murder theories because you had people who were saying, well, it must have been an injection because she only had 25 Nambutal on her nightstand. So that that became part of... And we're going to, like you said, we're going to be delving more into this because this is really where some of the juice is that we do have the ability to really look at. Um, but but in regards to the questions that he was posing, that's where I say there's, you know, there's the, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because some of those questions really did need to be answered. And yet, even though they did answer the question or they asked the question and then they'd answer it to some degree, it wasn't completely followed through. So then you're left with these unanswered questions questions. That's the reason this was back 30 years ago. Here we are 30 years later asking the same questions. April, did you want to chime in at all in terms of some of these uh, questions and, and uh, you know, in terms of the diary as well? Um, really, I disagree with what the panelists said. I mean, I understand the concept of, you know, you want to sort through if there's anything great that these people have brought up. And I mean, Slasher does have his good points, but overall, it's just a lot of junk. I mean, these people all worked together and they knew each other. Um, Jordan later came out and said that Carmen had approached him about doing a show um, about Marilyn with her and Slasher and that the show paid well and they would get $10,000 if they would just read a script. So that just wow. kind of shows you how it's really money oriented. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it, you know, that, and that's, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, where were these people's motives? And that's also why we're, it's important for us to, um, you know, shed some light on that. And yet, you know, we, we also don't know exactly, you know, exactly what their motives were. We only can speculate at that point. And I want to make sure that, you know, what we bring to the show um, definitely substantiates at least as much as we can what they did and what they did not do. Um, we're going to take a, a quick break and we're going to continue the conversation about the Red Diary as well as um, Lyle Grandison. We're going to get into him, but I do have some questions from uh, the audience. One of them is a pretty general one, um, but it's a completely off the subject, but I want to make sure that it gets answered. Uh, it's from Davey. Uh, he actually did a, we did a shout out for him earlier in the show. I uh, It says basically, so my question is, would Marilyn drink some of alcohol? some form of alcohol or take a certain medication to help her with social anxiety to help her in a particular scene that she was hesitating doing. I've read things that would keep, she'd keep vermouth in a, in a thermos while on the set of some like it hot, for example. So I just wanted to know if this is indeed a fact who wants to jump in and answer that question. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> We're all waiting to see who's going to talk so we don't talk over each other, I think. Yeah. Um, it's certainly true that Marilyn did occasionally use alcohol um, to ease some of her anxiety. Um, there's a particular story of when she was preparing to go to a premiere. I, I want to say it was How to Marry a Millionaire. If somebody wants to correct me on that, they can. Um, where she had, had, had started drinking some whiskey prior to going out because she was so nervous about facing these large crowds of people. Um, as to whether she drank on the set of her films, um, I find that really difficult to believe. I think that um, being that she was a perfectionist the way she was and so serious about her work, I, I don't I don't believe personally that she was drinking on the set of her films. Um, but if anyone knows of any evidence of that, I'd be happy to hear it. 
All right. So if anybody else has anything to add to that, if not, we're going to uh, we're going to continue the conversation. We have to take a quick break. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We are dissecting not only the DA report, but dissecting if there was really a red diary. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. My name is Lionel Grandison, and I was a deputy's coroner's aide at the time of Marilyn Monroe's death. I believe that there was a cover-up of Marilyn Monroe's death. Uh, It's not really clear to me if uh, she was murdered or if, in fact, it was suicide. But I know, based upon my particular involvement in it, that there was a cover-up of some of the information uh, to the public. Um, And I signed her death certificate. I found that there was no information on it. Why should I sign the death certificate without the information? But when I went to Dr. Curfee uh, to ask him about this file, he told me that it was not my responsibility to ask questions about it, to sign the death certificate. Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We are dissecting the DA report from 1982. We are also talking about the Red Diary. Did it really exist? That was Lionel Grand- Grandinson uh, talking about uh, that he thinks that there is a cover-up. We've mentioned him a little bit, uh, but before we get into that, uh, I w- I'm going to ask the question and then I'm going to get into the life by the panel to think about about this. Jessica from Fountain Valley, California wrote in and said that Marilyn did write creatively. She did 
have an agenda to her life, why couldn't she have kept a separate book detailing her accounts with RFK or JFK since she knew this was highly confidential? She was a smart woman. Leave you with that uh, that uh, pondering question panel as I get into this week's Life Bites. Love is the most weakest when there is no doubt when there is more doubt than love. Let me read this one again. Let me start this one again. Love is the most weakest when there is more doubt than love. But love is the strongest when we learn to trust in spite of our doubts. You know, how many times have we stressed or worried and thought something was just not quite going to work out? And then maybe it's a week or a month later when we look back and say, wow, how did I get through this? You know, it's easy to trust when everything is going well, but it makes it very challenging when things are not so great and you have a lot of uncertainty to actually stand in that confidence with faith and trust and know that it'll turn out just fine. So if you're going through something that is difficult or you don't know how you're going to sort through, maybe what you need to hear is that it'll be okay and it will work out just fine. Have trust have faith. And if you can stay in that trusting and loving space, life has an interesting way of working out. Trust me. On that note, let's get back to this week's show. Uh, Ask the question uh, from Jessica, who wants to know, you know, is it really that unheard of that she could have had a second book? Uh, Leslie, you want to jump in and ask the answer that question? Well, my, my first response to that would be, the, I would agree with the statement that she was a very smart woman, and I'm not sure that a very smart woman would have kept records of all of these very serious state secrets um, that could have gotten her into a lot of trouble. So if, in fact, she did know these things, would a smart person really have written them down would be my question in return. <laughs> Well, well, and here's the other thing is that if we now know that Robert Slatzer really didn't know her all that well, she certainly wouldn't be talking to him about something that was that highly confidential. You know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah, him saying that she was writing it down so she'd remember just for the purpose of telling him uh, that's ludicrous. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Gary, you wanted to, before we get into Lionel, you wanted to uh, recap a little bit too on the Red Diary. Yes, the, the DA report made some, made some, I think, legitimate conclusions about the diary because the conspiracy theorists are claiming that possibly Marilyn was murdered due to the explosive contents of the diary, yet you know, these alleged killers didn't confiscate the very object that might have mo- motivated the murder. And then on, on the death scene, the doctors and Mrs. Murray don't mention the diary, um, they don't report a diary, and if those closest to Marilyn had killed her, they, they would have taken it, they would have been in the position to remove it or, or turn it over to the authorities. And if the coroner employees discovered it, then the killers would have been inept to allow its very discovery in the first place. So it's kind of used for, for like two points to kind of prove that she was murdered, but yet it was found on the scene. So it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense, to me at least. Yeah, and Leslie, you had a good point as well. Well, yeah, one of the things that rarely gets brought up when it comes to Lionel Grandison and what he claims to have seen um, is that he also claims that there was a suicide note with diary. Mm-hmm. Um, and if this diary, you know, is the reason that she was being murdered, then why would she have written this? 
think either of them exist. But these conspiracy theorists never mention this alleged suicide note because it doesn't the the murder theory as well as the Red Diary does. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that there's a double message there. If you do have a suicide note, um, then why would there be a murder cover-up? Um, one of the things he does say, though, he doesn't say murder. He just says cover-up, which um, I, I, I certainly, and I'm just, this is my opinion, this is not any, I do think there's a cover-up. I just don't know what the cover-up is. Um, and I certainly can't say that it's murder at this point. Um, but uh, I do think it's very interesting in regards to the fact that uh, if there is indeed a suicide note, that's missing. There's a red diary that's missing, right? And, uh, you know, the one thing about the suicide uh, note, you know, if somebody didn't, if she didn't leave one, um, you know, did somebody tamper with that? Uh, So far, they don't really talk about that in regards to the DA report in a lot of detail. Uh, And Mary Jane, you had a a good question or good thoughts in terms of some of the the items that uh, you can actually uh, talk about in terms of quotes. Oh, yes. Um, when we look at what Marilyn's close colleagues and friends said about her, I mean, we have both, um, in the DA report, it states that Pat Newcomb, Eunice Murray, and Ralph Roberts all say that they never saw a diary. And Ralph Roberts, who was Marilyn's masseuse and one of her best friends, um, said that Marilyn was not organized, didn't care what day it was, and couldn't spell and does not believe that she had a diary at all. And there is also the original property report from the coroner's office states that no property was recovered. It was just, you know, the, the Maryland's body was brought to the coroner's office with no items along with it. Well, again, you know, it's it's talking about what we do know versus what we don't know. And let's get into who Lionel Grandinson was. Um, Gary, do you want to break that down for us and then we'll talk about it? Sure. He, he was the deputy coroner's aide in L.A., and, and he served from about 1960 until shortly after Marilyn's death. And the DA um, investigation revealed that he was like an, an, an admin. He did administrative paperwork and kind of mechanical skills. He, his position didn't require any critical thinking he had no authority to approve any contents of the coroner's documents. And even though he signed the death certificate, his signature carried no approval or disapproval. He didn't have any authority to challenge the decisions of the, of the medical staff. And his background is that, you know, he, he worked at a hospital. Um, he worked for L.A. County. He seemed to have a, a job every few years. So he was at a hospital in 1960. He was in county service in 59. He worked at a General Motors plant as an assembler from 58 to 59. Um, he had a one-year business degree Yeah, LA so he, City he, Business College. So he, he basically worked at the coroner, but he had no official uh, capacity in terms of forensics. He basically was just in charge of signing her death, certifi- t- death certificate. Um, Mary Jane, I know that you, uh, you have some information on him as well to add to what Gary is saying. Yes, um, Lionel Grandison, he was, I mean, essentially, he, he tries to make it sound like he was a, a coroner's assistant and he was present at the autopsy, but when you look at what his actual job capacity was, he was essentially a, a paper shuffler. He organized documents and, and put them together in the proper order. Um, he made allegations that 
There was bruising on Marilyn's body that was not indicated in the autopsy report. However, um, Thomas Noguchi was asked about this, and he said no, he was not present at the autopsy. Um, Lionel Grandison first came on the scene um, after he had met Robert Slatzer, and then Grandison and Slatzer and a private investigator hired by Slatzer named Milo Spiriglio held a press conference in 1982. And it conveniently coincided with Milo Spiriglio publishing his book, which is where Grandison's first um, account of the diary and, and all his allegations appeared. Um, when Grandison was spoken to in the 1982 DA investigation, he admitted that he had read Robert Slatzer's book and first heard about the Red Diary in Slatzer's book. And also interesting to note is on August 10th, 1962, Grandison was fired from the coroner's office and brought up on charges of uh, grand theft and forgery from stealing from the deceased bodies in the coroner's office. And, I, well, you know, that date is only a week after Marilyn died. Well, I just find it very interesting, again, that, you know, we're bringing this stuff up. You know, um, is he bringing up information that we should be talking about? Maybe, maybe not. But the fact that people aren't checking their records, right? You know, it's 20 years later. You know, even that in terms of credibility, that's the challenge. Like if he was brought up on the stand today, he would have he, he would not be a credible witness based on what you just said. You know, whether or not he's telling the truth or not. The reality is, is that he doesn't, he doesn't hold a lot of credibility. Uh, April, did you want to chime in here with this? I was just going to say, if you read um, Robert Klatzer's second book, The Maryland Files, Grandison's in there, and he says that her diary was extremely detailed and that she was writing out these huge things about the Kennedys and the mafia and the just same old stuff. But um, if you look at Marilyn's writings and fragments or um, Lois Banner's book, Private and Personnel, if you look at all of these, her writings are just like little quick jot downs. They're just little sentences. They're just little reminders. It's not these huge long paragraphs that Grandison's claiming he read. And also, how are you going to remember something verbatim, you know, over 20 years later? Exactly, exactly. And again, it speaks to the proof that we do have. Marilyn did not write in a form that was detail-oriented. And how do we have proof? from Marilyn herself. Well, we're going to have to start to close out this week's show. I'll get to more of your questions next week. We'll finish up and recap for next week as well. Gary, your closing thoughts. Well, you know, we, we found Marilyn's diaries. They were, they were locked in two filing cabinets in New York and Los Angeles, and they were the possession of Inez Melson, and um, they were transcribed into a wonderful book called Fragments. So the good news is we did find her diaries. <laughs> it's just not the Red Diary. Good point. Uh, and Leslie Kasperowitz. Um, I think, you know, what I, the best thing that came out of the DA report is that they really debunked this pretty clearly. I mean, they went over this red diary in detail, and they came to the conclusion that it didn't exist, and I agree with that conclusion. All right, Mary Jane. Well, I like to go with what Marilyn herself said about it. She was asked in a recorded interview in 1955, do you keep a diary? And Marilyn said no. And she was asked, do you keep a journal? And she said, no, not, not exactly a diary or a journal. Sometimes when things used to happen, I would write them down, but then I used to tear them up. So right there she's saying, I don't keep a diary. 
from Marilyn herself in April. Last words. My biggest thing is just checking your sources and making sure that their story doesn't change drastically over time. And that is what has happened with Grandison, Flats, or Jordan. Their stories just continually change. All right. Well, on that note, there you have it. There is no proof to this day that the Red Diary exists. And the people that brought it to light are people that are really not credible in regards to Marilyn Monroe's life. For this week, that's a wrap. So we'll be back next Friday, 10 a.m., and we'll continue the conversation in Season 3 as we dissect the DA report. Thanks to Gary Vitaco Robles, Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2, Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kasperowitz, and our special guests, April Via Via. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. <music>